0: Hi, everybody. Welcome to the 35th edition of the PR Masters series. I'm Art Stevens, your host, and I'm also managing partner of the Stevens Group, a leading facilitator of mergers and acquisitions in the PR and digital interactive space. The PR Masters podcast honors living legends in our profession, individuals who have made a mark in the world of public relations. And we do have a very, very special guest today. She is Catherine Hernandez-Blades, and Catherine is a Senior Vice President, Chief ESG, and Communications Officer at AFLAC. She served in the Chief Marketing Officer and Chief Communications Officer roles simultaneously at two Fortune 500 companies. She is in the inaugural class of the Women in Communications Hall of Fame and the first recipient of the PR Most Purposeful CCO Award. Catherine, welcome to PR Masters. How are you today?
1: Oh, Art, I'm terrific. Thank you. It's such an honor and pleasure to be here with you. I I appreciate the invitation.
0: Oh, wonderful, wonderful. We're so happy to have you, really. So uh, what kind of a day are you having so far? Any crises in the Uh, AFLAC uh, uh, boardroom? Oh, not not
1: today. It it's it's a wonderful Monday and uh like everyone else I am joining you from my home today and we were joking before the podcast my dog has joined me in my little home office and she's snoring now, so I
0: hope your audience doesn't hear her. <laughs> but she's awfully cute. Well, I hope she doesn't lull us both to sleep. I, ho- I I we'll try to avoid that, Catherine. Um <laughs> Captain, you've been at you've been at uh uh Aflac for a number of years now. Uh tell us how you you wound up there and uh I know you've had other corporate jobs prior to that. Uh, obviously your your uh, your CV uh, tells us a great deal about your past and, and and your accomplishments, but uh tell us about your you know how you got to AFLAC.
1: Well, I had a very interesting career path, uh, always in the corporate communications function and marketing function on some level, but I've been with Aflac for six and a half years. And uh-huh. prior to that, I spent my entire career in heavily regulated industries with in companies that had an international footprint. So I spent 10 years at Air, in aerospace and defense doing international work for Lockheed Martin and Raytheon. And then I had the chance to run my own shop uh, at Flextronics at the time. It's now called Flex as the CMCO of that company. But even before I was in aerospace and defense, uh, it was important to me that I understood the role and purpose of government and business. And so rather than doing that as a lobbyist or on the in-house side of things, I literally became the youngest gubernatorial appointee in Louisiana since Reconstruction and uh, was the Executive Director of the Louisiana Seafood Promotion and Marketing Board because there's no better way to learn the inner workings of anything than to be inside and the person making the rules and making the decisions and seeing how it all fits together. So I've curated my career very carefully. And it's gotten me to Aflac, which has been just a wonderful gift. It's a great company with a fantastic culture and a strong sense of purpose, which is incredibly important to me, both personally and professionally.
0: Tell us how you got into public relations. Is is it something that you had uh, uh, thought about, uh, you know, I guess during your college days? Or is it something that happened, like many of us, you know, kind of accidentally
1: it found me art. I have to be honest. I did not seek it out. I had always been interested in writing and my whole life, I really wanted to be the next Jane Polly. I wanted to be a broadcast journalist and ended up doing it for a while. And it was not all I had thought or hoped it would be. And I ended up getting my first corporate job shortly after school and after working in television, and I was literally banging out press releases for a Fortune 500 company that was really a mergers and acquisition company. And so it taught me a tremendous amount about business. Uh, The M&A process in and of itself is fascinating, but communications role in that process is really incredible when you're talking about onboarding entire companies into your culture and your systems and your processes. So I learned a lot about business through that experience, and that is how it kind of found me, because I could write, and and I was very fortunate. I'll never forget in college I had this um, professor, Dr. Mann, and it was the obituaries class. You literally sat at a typewriter and you wrote obituaries for a semester because, uh, frankly, he thought if you were fortunate enough to get a job in journalism, that's probably what you'd really end up doing anyway at some point and and I was super creative which did not serve me well he did not appreciate my flair for creativity so fast forward to next semester and now I've got him for photojournalism and my first assignment was to go out to Cypress Lake we literally had a swamp in the middle of campus I went to the University of Louisiana at Lafayette and there is a swamp in the middle of campus complete with alligators and and everything you'd expect in South Louisiana so I, um, there was a little girl there feeding some ducks, and I asked the mother if I could take pictures of her, and it was a black-and-white study of nature, and the little girl just added so much to it. Well, it turns out, as fate would have it, that he, he decided he loved my creativity, that I had a flair for photography, because the little girl was his granddaughter.
0: Oh, my. <laughs> so you... Like the like the rest of us, you know, you kind of found your way into public relations, and obviously have been loving it ever since, as I have during the course of my career. Um, but I w- let's let's talk about uh, Aflac for a little bit. I mean, it it is such a wonderful company, and it's done so, so so much in the way of of exciting uh, marketing, you know, to fam- continue to familiarize the general public, you know, with uh, with what it is and what it does, and uh, and obviously with its great symbol, the Aflac duck, uh, tell us about life at Aflac. Oh,
1: life at Aflac's terrific. Uh, we We have a wonderful, diverse, and inclusive workforce, and literally uh, over sixty percent of our board of directors is diverse. Um, so it starts very much tone at the top. We've had the same CEO for thirty years. He is second generation. And he walks the talk. Our W-2 workforce, our employee base, is approximately 70% female, about 40% African American, and almost 50% minority. And so you see that consistency of diversity from the board level to the intern program. It's really uh, beautiful. And I... I am convinced, and the data helps to support this, that you know companies that do good do well from a financial perspective, and, and that's something that Aflac has seized on for decades. Um, my most favorite favorite thing about the company is its commitment to eradicating childhood cancer, and over the past 25 years, we have. Uh, donated almost $150 million to the research and treatment of pediatric cancer. Along with that, we have had the naming rights for the Aflac Cancer and Blood Disorder Center for the past 25 years. And it is one of the top 10 pediatric cancer treatment facilities in the country and the number one provider of services for children with sickle cell in the United States. So, so much to be proud of and and so much that our workforce can really rally behind. And then the success story of the business is incredible. I mean, 65 years ago, the three original founding brothers uh, sold blocks of stock out of the trunks of their car going door to door. And if you bought an $11,000 block of stock 65 years ago and held to it, Between the splits and the dividends and reinvestment, all of that, that $11,000 investment is worth today over $125
0: million. So if we all only had a time machine. (laughs) Oh my God. (laughs) Wow. That's amazing. That's an amazing story. It's incredible. (laughs) It's.
1: And, you know, everyone loves the duck. And um, our original shareholders, we still have a few that come to the annual shareholder meeting every year. We had to do it virtually this year because of the pandemic, of course, so we didn't get to see them. But it's wonderful. And clearly they have loved the company and have done well by loving the company. So, uh, yeah, it's 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 really a unique culture in that regard.
0: Well, the AFLAC uh, uh ads, you know, have been so creative, you know, using the duck. I remember uh, a series that, uh, that uh, you all did with Yogi Berra <laughs> uh, <laughs> sitting in a barber chair <laughs> and uh, uh, the barber asking him some questions and, uh, you know, Yogi answering in the usual, you know, uh, Yogi Berra type of uh, responses. And the duck was outside and uh, he was scratching his head and running around in circles because he got so confused about what Yogi Berra was saying. Uh you guys are so creative there, you know. I mean, uh, and and I guess that uh, it is uh, a, a, probably one of the longer-running uh, advertising and marketing campaigns, isn't it? Yeah.
1: Well, I, I can speak to its longevity, but I'm not sure how it compares with other companies. But, yes, the Duck launched on January 1st of 2000, so his 20th birthday is this year. And we had so many things planned to celebrate His birthday. And unfortunately, um, we got a little bit sidetracked with with different events, the social justice issues that that are so important and are finally at the forefront of the national consciousness in in a way that they certainly haven't been in my lifetime. We have a global pandemic. Uh, by the way, we seem to be forgetting because it's usually buried in the fourth or fifth news story in the cycle. There's also a presidential election going on right now. So lots and lots of things to talk about. Yes,
0: yes, yes. Is it true that the uh, uh, Aflac duck uh, had a uh, relationship with the Geico gecko for a period of years?
1: Oh, I am not aware of that. <laughs>
0: another famous advertising campaign uh, using, you know, inanimate creatures. But uh, let me ask you this, uh, Catherine, uh, you know, uh, now that uh, you have obviously uh, had some major, major positions in the world of corporate communications, um, uh, how do you feel uh, about the direction corporate communications is headed uh, these days? You know, you're you're in the Arthur Page Society, as am I, you know, which consists of – mostly corporate communications officers, and, you you know, you get to uh, trade stories, you know, with them. Um, where do you feel that corporate communications is uh, currently compared to, say, what it was when you first got into it?
1: I think the data has been a game changer. We have access to so much data and we have access to it so quickly that it allows you to not only inform your strategy, but to adjust and adapt in real time, which is really an important thing. I think the focus on authenticity is, is paramount and purpose is so important. Again, now we have data that says companies that do good perform better in the marketplace. And that has been so very important. I see communications as being more than just the conscience of the company, even though that is very, very important. I borrow a quote from John Awada, also a page member, and just brilliant, brilliant gentleman who Says, and, and he's so right, Art, that unless you have a title that's president or CEO, you really aren't looking at all stakeholders equally. You know, HR looks at employees and their care about marketing the consumer, mm-hmm. investor relations, the financial community. But communications is the only Organization outside of a president or a CEO office or a COO office, COO, thank you, office that has license to look at everything holistically across the board. And with that comes tremendous responsibility and opportunity because you really have to be that advocate. You have to be the voice of everyone. You have to manage the reputation of the company with every single stakeholder. And again, data has just made that so much better for communicators,
0: so given that um how has the c e o uh adjusted to all the changes in in both in society and and you know in the corporate world and and the economy and the role of business um uh, as well as, as well as the relationship between you you know and the c e o
1: We have a tremendous CEO. Uh, He he is definitely the real deal. And and that helps. Um, I think that corporate communications teams really come of age during crises. And about two and a half years ago, uh, my CEO and I weathered our first big uh, crisis together and it was lawsuit related. I was, Just landing in Mexico with my husband for a long-awaited vacation and didn't make it to the front desk of the hotel before the phone started ringing and we had to turn around and come back the next day. And I think that when you do battle together, if you will, uh, that creates a much stronger, more robust relationship. It builds trust um, with speed, Sometimes it takes years to get to know the people you work with and, and just depending on the culture, but there's something about a crisis that forces that speed of trust mm. and makes it so much more important.
0: Well, as as a corporate communications officer for a, a number of extraordinarily large companies prior to Aflac, uh, you probably uh, already uh had your battle scars in terms of dealing with uh, crises uh can you tell us about the uh, the, the if you uh, if you'd like to your very first crisis situation and what you learned from that and and how how you continue to learn about dealing with crises going forward?
1: That's a fascinating question uh sometimes what you keep out of the press is just as important as is what makes it into the press. I will share. My first big giant project at Lockheed Martin, because I was was Mm -hmm. hired into corporate communications through Marcom to be the creative person, the brand person, and we had a CCO by the name of Dennis Box, absolute fabulous gentleman, legend in the industry, was the first CCO of the CIA, which is the total oxymoron, if you've ever heard one and just a, a great guy well we we had a problem whenever an arms deal is is signed an arms program is negotiated there are two contracts there's one for the actual purchase of the of the weapon systems and then there's one uh that engages the company in what is called an offset program and offset programs are very complex they are um, a series of multipliers and credits but Basically, it's an economic stimulus in the country to offset the purchase of the weapons systems. And it can be housed in the Ministry of Economy, the Ministry of Defense, but the bottom line is you have a certain period of time in which to obtain all of your offset credits and there are milestone penalties in the contract along the way. So we we were coming up on a problem in poland where we weren't getting offset credits approved there was a lot of work being done we were partnering with a lot of other very large u.s uh, companies to put factories and create facilities and create jobs and all that sort of thing into the country but we weren't getting offset credits approved so they decided that we needed a video, and I love it when somebody says they need a video because usually when they need a video, they, they need something more, right? They either need a jobs program or mm-hmm. they they need a ro- robust um, advocacy campaign. So we went in. I lived in the sheraton Warsaw for two weeks a month for a year, and every time we did something good opened a factory, cut a ribbon, opened an envelope. If people would come to the opening of an envelope, we would have a media event, we would have politicians there so that the government officials would be seen in the media as getting the credit for this economic stimulus in country. And lo and behold, we we were able to secure a couple of billion dollars of credits in a year. More oh, through, hmm. yes, using, um, working very closely with the State Department, using um, public relations as as public affairs, really, more so than, than your typical public relations activities. And it was highly successful. So that was my first big PR win. And when you think about that lovely gentleman I mentioned by the name of Dennis Box, who he and He took me and my immediate boss, who was the vice president of the business unit I was in, to lunch the day before I got on the plane to go to Poland for the first time and said, look, this isn't going to work. Nobody can pull this off. You've been dealt a bad hand. We'll salvage what's left of your career on the other side of this. Just (laughs) what you want to hear when you're a very ambitious, early 30s, you know, jumping into this project. So, yes, it's been, it's been a fascinating career. And uh, I guess my most favorite thing about what we get to do besides just have an impact on the business and the bottom line and the stock price, which is so critical, but we get to solve complex problems and we get to use all the tools in our tool set for each channel, for each audience, uh, in a very compelling and persuasive way. I, we're so lucky that we get to do what we do. It's, it's just a fascinating career.
0: You have won so many awards uh, in the world of public relations and, and particularly corporate communications. Uh, You've become a role model. Um, how would you describe what you have learned about the role of corporate communications uh over the years given you know the, the many important uh, uh situations that you have been in and uh what do you think is the route going forward in the practice of corporate communications the arthur pay society of course is a strong advocate you know for having a seat at the table which apparently you know you certainly do um, uh, how did you win the confidence of, of the ceo and uh, and uh, how has that affected again uh, your uh, your the means in which you know you have uh, uh, made the role of corporate communications that much more sophisticated and contemporary?
1: Well, it's very kind of you you to say those things. I, I've been very very lucky uh, in terms of the awards and the lists and the being named. different um, halls of fame and things it's it's very humbling I I don't think of myself as a role model I see myself as you know all the clumsy goofy silly things that I do foolishly um, every day I I have this ability to trip over my own feet and fall down quite a bit and it's really it's really hard to think of oneself as a role model, but I, I will tell you there there are some things that I would suggest that all communicators who want to have a great career do, and it's not just understanding your function because the farther up you go on the corporate ladder, if you will, the farther away you get from the things you love. I mean, I spend just as much time in budget meetings as I do banging out copy. Mm-hmm. I, I have to sit on various global committees that create the work and the governance for the company. Uh, that is that is very different than being a corporate communications person. So it's a different skill set. So the top three things I would suggest to all people who really want to move forward in this function and gain the trust of their C-suite is uh, first develop your business acumen. You must be a business leader first and a passionate functional leader second. The C-suite doesn't speak in terms of PR. They speak in numbers. You have to be able to bring that skill set to the table. So business acumen number one, that ability to solve complex problems, to peel back the onion and get to the real root cause of of whatever an issue might be, is mission critical. And then measurement. And, and I think this is where a lot of communicators struggle. You can't measure tactics. You have to measure outcomes and results. So you've got to somehow model your measurement protocols to get you to the impact you have on the stock price. And whether that's multivariate regression analysis that isolates the number to prove causation, which is really hard and really expensive, or using some sort of modeling device that allows you to show correlation to sales stock price. Basically, when I brief out the board quarterly, I overlay our model against our peer set with our employee engagement scores, our social media sentiment scores, our editorial media sentiment, our stock price, and our sales numbers accounting for the anomaly during fourth quarter for open enrollment, which is an artificial spike. And that's how I have to talk to them. Now, do I talk to my comms team in that way When it is called for, yes, but if I need to rally the troops and get them excited about something and make sure that they're passionate and engaged, you know, a whole bunch of graphs and charts, really just don't do it. But you put in the human element for your team. You put in the people piece, and, and it gives it life and dimension and makes it real. But you have to be able to do both if you're going to be successful in business.
0: Wow, those are gems. Catherine, I'm just in awe of what you just went through. I mean, listeners, are you paying attention? Because uh, if you're in any way in the world of corporate communications, you have just heard some insights that can be so valuable to to your career. This is amazing. Um, so given all this, uh, Catherine, uh, what do you believe then is, is has been your greatest achievement at uh, AFLAC? Oh,
1: my God. Well, I can tell you what my favorite achievement is my my favorite achievement is you know you mentioned a lot of awards and lists, but now people on my team are getting those awards, and their names are appearing on those lists and that I feel like is certainly my most favorite achievement and and the one I'm personally the most proud of
0: so tell us about tell us about how your you know your your unit at uh, at aflac uh um uh, how many people on your staff? I, I assume they're probably all over the place, so geographically and, and also in terms of capabilities. Can you describe, you know, your uh, you know, your your setup, if you will?
1: Oh, of course. We have uh thirty corporate communicators. Thirty one if you count me. And we're divided into three groups. If you include me, we have thirty one people on the team. And we are structured in a way that aligns with how the business is structured and governed. So I have a small team that works on environmental, social, and governance, or ESG, which is becoming so much more important now than it ever has been for public companies. It really puts materiality into the mix of CSR. It's like CSR on steroids. And it's it's (laughs) a wide open playing field So so critical and so important. So we've got a small team there. Then when you look at our employee base and our independent sales agent base, so we have 30,000 licensed independent sales agents. So their tax status would be 1099. They Uh have to be treated differently, and they are. But a third of those 30,000 people are actually also licensed to sell our competitors' products. So, they have to like Mm -hmm. us
0: best. Yeah.
1: And then we have in the US, we have uh, 5,000 employees, which are full time W 2 employees. We also have 5,000 employees in Japan. Actually, about 70 to 75% of our business is in Japan. We insure one in every four households in Japan. Different distribution model, very different. But in the US, on the corporate communications team, we have what we call organizational communications. And we have communicators who communicate with those 1099s several times a day. They also communicate with our uh, broker sales professional channel because broker is a huge growth engine for the company. And then they also communicate a different subset of that team with our actual W-2 employees so that's organizational communications independent sales agents brokers and our employees and then there's a third group that is your more traditional uh, corporate communications department so you've got public relations you've got all the external communications some social media And philanthropy, the foundation, all of that falls under that group. So it is a very small, very efficient, and very mighty team. And I'm just so proud of every person on that team. And we had a new addition um, just yesterday. One of our employees had a beautiful baby boy. So life goes on through the pandemic. And, uh, yeah, we're just just loving every minute of it.
0: So – you are involved in uh, Latino Heritage Month and uh, um, and the goals that you have set as a highly successful Latino professional is something I know that you uh, are in the forefront of doing. Could you tell us about Latino Heritage Month?
1: Absolutely. Well, I belong to a number of organizations, as do you, and um, they're all celebrating in one way, shape, or form. There are a couple that I'm, I'm – personally involved in, and the first one is the PR Museum event, and I know you know Shelley Spector very well, and she's done such a magnificent job with the museum and celebrating the history and the diversity and everything about our industry, so I will be keynoting that event, and one of the members of my corporate communications team will be on a panel for that event. It's her second year doing that. And I'm really excited that we have this opportunity. Another organization that we're involved with is um, the We Are All Human organization, uh, Claudia Edelman's group. And they also do a number of events. And as a matter of fact, we have been to the UN with them twice. Uh, This year's will probably look a little different. And then, of course, we also engage with Latina Style. There are four organizations that we tend to be involved with that do some sort of celebration around Hispanic Heritage Month. There is Latino Leaders Magazine, and AFLAC is a supporter of their publication. Latina Style, same thing. They do wonderful events as well, and we're very proud to be on their list of top 50 companies for Latinas to work for and we're very involved with their events and activities. We also are involved with the We Are All Human organization which is Claudia Edelman's group and we've had the opportunity to sign the Hispanic Promise as a company and we've also been with them on two occasions at the United Nations which has been uh, very very special for all of us and then finally, our dear friend, our mutual friend, Shelly Spector at the PR Museum uh, is doing a Hispanic Heritage Month event, and I'll be keynoting it. And Darcy Brito and my team will, for the second year in a row, be on the panel that will be discussing topics within the community. So we're all looking very forward to that.
0: After you, you obviously volunteer a lot of your time to other organizations and and causes, some to do with AFLAC and and some uh, to do with other uh, causes. Uh, How do you find the time to do it, and why do you feel it's important to you?
1: Well, I think it's important for all of us. I think we have a, a social compact with all of the other people who join us on this planet to do good wherever we can find the opportunity to do good, and then, of course, to act on it. I uh, actually used to be involved a whole lot more. But when we restructured and we put philanthropy and the foundation into corporate communications, I, I stepped back from the boards that I was serving on because I was uncomfortable with the optics and how that would look if the donations committee chose to support one organization rather than another. I wanted to be Switzerland, just completely neutral. But yes, in my past, I have been chairs of a couple of boards that have been very meaningful to me. The first is Operation Homefront, and they provide support for wounded warriors. And when I was chair, we, and on the board, we launched the Homes on the Homefront organization. It was right after the financial crisis of 2008, and banks had all of these homes that they had to foreclose on that were sitting empty. Well, if they would donate the home to Operation Homefront, we would get other sponsors to retrofit it for Wounded Warriors. And during that time period, we put 500 wounded warrior families in mortgage-free homes. So I'm very, very wow. proud of that.
0: Wow, yeah.
1: And, the, and then the other organization I was very involved with um, in my hometown of New Orleans was co- Court Appointed Special Advocates for Children, or CASA, mm-hmm. and I was chair of that board um, pre-Katrina when we opened the Child Advocacy Center, which is a, um, a really important place for children who have experienced some sort of traumatic form of abuse because what people don't realize is that when a child goes through something terrible, they often have to tell their story many times in many uncomfortable places and their children and it's very, very difficult. But in a child advocacy center, the interviews are conducted through one white glass. The interviewer is actually a professional therapist who wears an earpiece so that the the defendant's attorney, the prosecutor, everyone who has a stake in the case can communicate and ask their questions basically through the therapist who's wearing an earbud. Uh, So the child only has to tell the story once in a very kid-friendly environment it is taped so that tape can be used in further court proceedings, and it is really just so much better for the child. So if you ask me in all my volunteer work that I've done, I think the two things I'm most proud of
0: are the two that I've just shared with you. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. Catherine, I just have a few more questions for you, and, and they're about you personally uh, as a uh, woman professional in the uh Ever-changing world of corporate and uh, and public relations uh, and communications. Um, what do you do for fun? You have a, obviously a very busy schedule with AFLAC and some of the volunteer things that you're involved with. What do you do for fun? I mean, I'm not saying that uh, those volunteer things you do aren't fun, but uh, but I mean like fun, fun.
1: <laughs> oh gosh. Uh, well, I'm from New Orleans, so, and so is my husband. So everything new orleans related for us is fun we enjoy cooking together we enjoy music we enjoy traveling quite a bit we've we've been very lucky we've been to over 50 countries together oh and um, yes we celebrate our 26th wedding anniversary this year he is actually speaking of volunteerism as we speak, he is on the Miracle Ride for Children. Um, it's an organization of motorcyclists who ride across the country. Because of COVID, this year they're only doing half the trip, but they raise money for children's hospitals. So he is he is off doing his volunteer service right now.
0: Do you have any uh, any uh, uh, particular hobbies that you love to get into? I mean, aside from cooking and dining.
1: Uh, Well, yes, we are big foodies, but that is absolutely uh, for certain. Um, Gosh, hobbies. I play classical guitar, although I'm very lapsed in that. Uh, I enjoy reading, and again, traveling for us is big. Usually we take one big vacation a year and just try and unplug. And, of course, this year that didn't happen, so we're trying to figure out some ways just to get out of the house at this point, although he is often running on a socially distanced COVID appropriate uh, motorcycle ride across half the country right now with with 17 of his closest friends.
0: Uh, So I have one final question for you, Catherine, this morning, and you've been, you've been terrific. And I really thank you for uh, sharing your views and your career, you know, with our podcast listeners uh and my final question since you have many, many years to go in in the in the world of corporate communications, is where do you where do you see yourself in the years ahead?
1: Oh my gosh. Well hopefully I, I've I've been so blessed. I, I hope to continue uh to be able to do what I do. Uh in the years ahead, gosh, I just think that I, I hope I'm still where I'm most comfortable and that's leading from the front. I, I love leading the charge and I just want to make a difference like everybody else.
0: Well, I think that's, that is just a beautiful way to end our wonderful conversation of, uh, of this morning. So Catherine Hernandez blades, uh, I thank you so much on behalf of our listeners and I thank you for joining us today and sharing you, your views with us.
1: Thank you for having me. It's it's an honor. Thank you.
0: And I'd like to thank you all for tuning into another of the Stevens Group PR Masters podcast series. Until next time, I'm Art Stevens, wishing you all the very best. Mm -hmm.